Good morning and welcome to Vision Builders Sunday. This is the last of our series about scarcity and generosity. And last Sunday, we looked at how God's response to the death and destruction of a world that he orders and that he loves is to give it a gift. First of all, he gave a gift of the garden to Adam and Eve, followed by the gift of the promised land to Abraham's descendants. And finally, the gift of his son Jesus to the world. Now, if you think about it, the strategy that the Bible claims that God has is a pretty odd one. God keeps giving gifts to humans, and humans keep willfully ignoring, destroying, and mistrusting him. But this is God's strategy, and the idea here is perhaps one of the most famous verses in the Christian Bible. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave. So in other words, John 3.16 summarizes the meaning of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in the language of generosity and giving. God gave to us, his enemies. So God gave the ultimate gift to humanity, Jesus Christ. And Jesus taught often on giving and generosity, saying things like, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it appears that to Jesus, the abundant life promised in John 10.10 actually has very little to do with your economic situation. He demonstrates a different definition of the good life, which is taken up by the Jesus movement after his death and resurrection. And when we look at the theme of generosity in the Bible, we can see that the part Jesus plays is not an isolated incident, but is actually a direct response to iterations or, or cycles of the stories that have come before it. And if we use that party parable again, the guests have developed a distrust for the generous host, which leads to a scarcity mentality, and then hoarding, and then taking care of themselves on their own term, which leads them to de define what is right and wrong in their own wisdom. Then they forget that everything they have is a gift and start to believe that they control the party. God's response to all this is just to keep supplying the party, hoping that someone will catch on to the fact that there is no scarcity and that the host is indeed generous and can be trusted. So God continues to give humanity gifts and the ultimate gift is Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, the Greek word, the noun for gift is charis, which also happens to be the Greek word for grace. Then as a verb, charizomai, is the word to give a gift. Interestingly enough, it is almost also the most common word in the New Testament for forgive. So it's interesting that God's grace is a gift and it involves his forgiveness towards us, which means that to forgive someone when they wrong you is to give them the gift of forgiveness. So the very concept of forgiveness in the New Testament, which, by the way, is written in Greek, is generosity. Now, we often talk about grace as an unconditional gift. Now, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project has a bit of a thing about calling God's grace unconditional because it causes us to think of grace in unhelpful ways. He prefers the term unconditioned gift. And I think I agree with him on this because the image conjured up by the word unconditional is a gift without any strings attached. Once we receive it, we can do anything we like with it. It's a bit like being given a $600 bottle of Grange Hermitage for your birthday, and then using it in the bolognese sauce you're making because you can't find anything else. The giver would probably be horrified, but you're entitled to say, well, it's mine now, I can do what I like with it. God's grace, however, is an unconditioned gift which means that there's nothing we can do to earn the gift. We are not entitled to the gift and we certainly don't deserve the gift. There are no conditions that we could meet to qualify to receive the gift. God just wants to give us the gift.
But once he's given us the gift, there are conditions to show our gratefulness for the gift. He gave us an unconditioned gift given with great expectation of return. There's nothing humans did to deserve to be co-rulers with God over creation. But now that we've been given that gift, it comes with these conditions, which are to trust his wisdom and to listen to him and to obey him. Now that we have grace, there's a responsibility of using it in a way that imitates the generosity of the one who gave us the gift. For instance, Israel's inability to imitate or their refusal to imitate God's generosity is what landed them in exile. This idea that we have a generous God and we're called to imitate his generosity is continued in the New Testament. John 3.16 again says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And he follows that out in 1 John 3 verse 1. It says, See how much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. So not only do we get the gift of salvation, but we're also gifted acceptance into God's family. Interestingly, it states that those who do not belong, who, rather who do belong to the world, don't recognize that fact, not because of anything we do or anything we don't do, but merely because they do not know God. Paul brings a practical edge to this idea in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 where he writes a letter to the Corinthian church reminding them of a project that he has going to raise money for the church in Jerusalem. So he's going around all these basically church plants and he's asking them for money to gift to the Messianic Jews or their, their spiritual ancestors, so to speak, in Jerusalem. And he starts off by highlighting the giving of the Macedonian church and he really builds them up. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 8, starting at verse 1, it says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify, they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give, to them, give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Now, after a build-up like that, you might expect Paul to exhort the Corinthians to follow in their footsteps. The Macedonians have obviously got a handle on the whole generosity mindset that fills the kingdom of God, and they're reveling in their faith and trust in God's generous nature. From this description, we can also see that their economic circumstances do not seem related to their understanding of God's gifts. In other words, they do not believe, and neither should we, that generous giving is a magic bullet to economic security. But what does Paul actually say to the Corinthian church? Verse 8 in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11, says, Now you should finish what you started, which is always good advice. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. And these are the same concepts that we embrace with vision builders. Be eager to give. If you're not eager, then don't give. 
give in proportion to what you have, which means give it some prayer and give it some thought before you actually embark on it. Whatever you decide to do, do it with enthusiasm. And remember, our motto is not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. I love how Paul finishes his appeal at the end of chapter 9. In verse 12, he says, So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks, not to you, but to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. He reminds the Corinthians and us that our generosity is a reflection of the gifts of grace and forgiveness that God gives to us every day. Now, in a little while, we're going to talk about vision builders, what we're aiming to achieve, how we'd like to get you involved. And then we're going to pray over your commitment to building God's house. But before we do that, you may be someone watching today who does not know the generous God that I know. God's gift of Jesus gave us the two things I mentioned in John 3.16 and 1 John 3 verse 1, the gift of eternal life and the gift of being called his children. This gift is one of those unconditioned gifts that I mentioned earlier. There's nothing you or I can do to earn that gift or qualify to receive it, but God gives it anyway. The only thing we have to do is receive it and in receiving it, put our life in God's hands to shape as he desires. Now, if you want to receive God's generous gift of salvation and grace this morning, then I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me, receiving Jesus into your life. If you do pray this prayer, can I ask you to press the raise hand button in the chat? Somebody will follow you up and this will be done privately so that you can be followed up for the next steps in your walk with Jesus. Will you pray with me? Jesus, Today I want to start a new relationship with you. I'm sorry for my sins and I ask for your forgiveness. I put my trust in you as my Saviour and Lord. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I thank you for your generous gift. Amen. I look forward to seeing you again next week.